Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Football fans, welcome to Morning Footy. Happy Tuesday. I'm Susanna Collins alongside Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Michael LaHood is back. Jenny Chu is going to hit you with some headlines in just a bit. I didn't get the blue memo, apparently. Y'all are very coordinated. And Charlie is ready for story time with his cardigan. You look, you look very fall right now, like ready to go apple picking or something. I'm ready. My mind, like, mindset, it's my favorite season. Mm. I'm already thinking about Halloween. That, you know, it's mentally you're there. I'm there. Are you over the summer already? Yeah. Wow. But you've been going. You've been hanging Easterners. out at the beach. Getting, you've been doing that cape life. I was gonna say I'm getting yeah. heavy Cape Cod vibes right now. Starting <laughs> now, apple picking. Your mind. I know where your mind's at. You're ready. Yeah, yeah I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Michael, how are you uh, enjoying morning footy your second time around? Uh, got a good night's sleep. Yeah. Good games to talk about. Settling in. You ready? Oh yeah. Nico has his mate, thank God. Finally, oof. right after the show, I went to go buy some, some <laughs> I was general. worried about you. <laughs> yeah. I saw him, he called Alan, he said, Alan, um, where did you hide the gerba? Yeah, my cousins that were here visiting last week and they were watching the show from the control room, they depleted my stock. Mm. Rude. And, and, right, and you would think. The, they were also teenagers. Right, So. but the, the courteous thing to do is when you deplete somebody's stock of gerba mate. You know they're watching, yeah. tell them. You put some more mate in the kitchen where I make the worst thing is to go open the drawers there's no mate. no mate the worst the worst thing that can happen crisis yeah I mean would you at age whatever they are what 15 yes, they 16 were seven, 17, 17 at are. age 17 would you have the mindfulness to replace the no, mate supply no. I would not at 17 <laughs> no he would not at 17 no mm. no chance absolutely not yeah. I agree yeah. we'll, we'll cut him some slack it's okay but I'm glad you're back now they learn. I hope they're watching and, and they learn their lesson. Life lessons on morning footy. <laughs> That's what we're doing. All right, uh, let's get to the big match of the morning. We had the first semifinal of the Women's World Cup. Bright and early Spain facing Sweden. This one went scoreless for the better part of 80 minutes. But some late game uh, action. This one ended 2-1. Spain is moving on. Let's get into the highlights, shall we? Yes, I mean, this was back and forth. Sweden was very tactical in the game plan, sitting in a mid-block, uh, defensive low, and then all of a sudden, Salma Paliuelo, the substitute, comes in, changes the game, and that's what she's done for Spain as this tournament has gone on. 
But Sweden responded, yeah. and you thought, oh my God, this is a rerun of, of the Netherlands-Spain match just before this, but nope. Look what at this strike. finish. What a Car strike. Carmona had a strong game throughout, just building out of the back, getting down the left flank, and it's very fitting that she was the one to get the game winner. Unbelievable. So it's going to be Spain moving on to, are, are, we, are we surprised? I know you and I both picked Sweden to advance out of this game. You picked Spain. 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 You I picked did. Spain. Yep. Vamos España. Vamos España. So what did you make of their performance? I, like I said, yeah. I mean, this was scoreless for 81 minutes. And then, and it, but Spain, I think, were the better team in, in this game. They probably deserved some more goals. So this seems like a fair result. Perhaps, Michael? Jenny Chu and I were talking before the game, and the dominance of Spain, their possession-oriented style, this was a big decision from the manager, Tepuputeas, to start her. Her fitness has been questioned, and out of all the players, you could still see her influence. Her fitness level was a bit of a detraction as the match went on, but it was a dominant performance for about 60 minutes for Spain and even maybe say 70 minutes Sweden came back into it in the second half I think they were sitting in a low block sometimes mid block and when they stepped up their press that's when they became more effective in the match they looked to play on the counter Spain what I liked about them was that they made some gutsy choices and gutsy decisions I think Paraguelo playing at center forwards the first time I've seen her play in this World Cup as a center forward she's been playing as a winger on either side throughout this tournament, and it paid dividends in the end. I feel like Spain needed to be a little bit more direct when they needed to take those risks. And Parayuelo scoring on her weaker foot, she had an opportunity where she could have shot it with her right a couple moments before, and it got blocked, and it, it felt like Sweden was going to keep that wall up. And from the moment that Spain sensed an opening, Parayuelo on her weaker foot gets the goal. But Sweden were very physically imposing throughout the entire game. They, they just, that's what they are. They're, they're a physically imposing team that when they got the ball, they tried going direct. Their possessions weren't long, but Spain didn't lose their cool in those 60 minutes of the match that, that you were mentioning. It. They, would, they would hold the ball, work it around, and sometimes it was pretty risky. You felt that, that Sweden was going to pounce at the right moment, and look, they, they kept their cool. I really like Spain's patience, and when... Jorge Vilda needed to risk. Mm -hmm. He recognized those moments, when to change things up, when to take out Alexia Putellas. And they kept Sweden at bay for most of the game, mm -hmm. except for those final moments where you were like, oh <laughs> no, like what, right when you have to see what the game response, out. What a response though, a minute later after, minute after later, Sweden equalizes. Unbelievable. When, when, you're, when you're playing against a team that's sitting in a low block, how many times do we see teams kind of force the issue, force the issue, and then get hit on the counter? That is playing into Sweden's hand. What I like about Carmona, she's been doing it throughout this tournament, shooting from distance. If a team is gonna sit off inside the 18, or at the top of the 18, they're giving you space to shoot and Carmona you do not need to give her an excuse to shoot she will shoot from wherever and it was a great goal well, who's not going to be in a low block off a corner kick it's a set piece so you naturally you're going to have everyone back what I loved about her is that she played without fear she, she typically a left back you're not going to take risks she felt confident she could play in tight spaces she always found a way to make sure that she could find that solution, whether it was someone checking into the midfield, whether she beat her player and then played it into someone's feet. Pateas, she looked off. Mm. She looked off the pace. Uh, she lost the ball a bunch of times. And I, I think that's just a manager saying, I'm going to give you the minutes to try and get going. Mm -hmm. and, and towards the end, she started to look sharp, and then she was substituted. 
I'd, I'd like to also throw flowers Aitana's way, Aitana Bonmati, mm. that she's, she's a difference maker in the midfield for Spain. The way she's able to keep the ball, play balls over the top, find the outlet passes, she's so good. And uh, Mariona Caldente was also very active today. Mm -hmm. She was a constant threat of keeping uh, Bjorg as quiet as possible on, on the right-hand side of Sweden's attack, the left-hand side of Spain's. Um, and I, I, I like Spain. They're, they're not going to blow you out of the water at this point. I didn't expect them to blow out opposition of the water. It's, it's a World Cup semifinal, but they didn't lose their cool against the Netherlands when, when they could have, when the chances weren't falling because it was a lot of possession and, and not a lot of decisive moments in those initial minutes where you thought, oh, they should have got a goal, oh, they should have got a goal, and they didn't, and they didn't. Um, and here also, uh, maybe they weren't getting clear-cut opportunities like they were in the game before, but again, not losing your cool, keeping your composure, and, and finding the right moment, decisive when it matters, at the very end of the game. Mm -hmm. But I, I will say, Sweden's game plan was, was per perfect because you allow... Spain to have possession. Just don't get caught out of position. And I think from that standpoint, Sweden was, was on point. And Rolfa had her chances. Yep. She had her chances to put Sweden on top in the first half and the second half. And in the first half, it's this ball from Bjorn over the top, back post. Mm. Got, it's a difficult ball, but you would expect her to make better contact and for that shot to actually go to the far post. And here, kind of read down to the byline, and she misses the header. That right there, two chances, golden chances, and you wait for those opportunities in the match. Sweden had them. They just weren't able to capitalize. And credit to Catacol, the goalkeeper for yeah. Spain, who has mm. become the starter at the World Cup. Didn't have experience with the national team up until now. And being in goal for a, Europe, a big European team at the World Cup, it might look daunting, and she stepped up to the plate. She had... We just saw one of the saves, but down the stretch when Sweden was attacking, mm -hmm. it was she, she came up big. You know, I'll go ahead. Uh, I think, Nico, what I like about this Spain team and, and the reason why, and apart from our telepathy and choosing Spain over these two over here, but choosing Spain to get to this final is that there's a growing sense of belief about this team. The Barcelona core that has really dominated Europe and really become a presence and a force to be reckoned with, that is translating to the Spanish national team. And you see this so often in international tournaments where you grow in belief with performances like this. I also want to point out, too, that it was just about a year ago that the last 15, the 15 players, mm -hmm. basically revolted mm -hmm. against this team and wanted Jorge Vilda out. out. And now he has taken them to their first semifinal, their first finals appearance. It's interesting because this is a team that had a bit of a tumultuous year. Yeah. Uh, but to be in this position now where they will be playing in a World Cup final, it's a pretty remarkable and journey. Now that I think about that first friendly after Las Quince, the 15, decided to, to sign that petition mm -hmm. against Jorge Vilda and he goes with kind of a B squad into that friendly, I'm pretty sure it was against... Sweden, and, and, the, and they ended up beating Sweden, and it's usually not a th theme that we've seen in this World Cup. It's usually the team against the federation, mm -hmm. right? Not the players yeah. against the manager. So it's a, a, a different type of situation going into this World Cup, and despite that, only three of the players, I believe, have come back mm -hmm. 
and look how far they've gone. Gormati they have come. is probably the, is the biggest one that came back. Playing in a yeah. World Cup final. Uh, we will find out who they play after tomorrow morning when Australia and England face off at 6 a.m. Um, all right, guys, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are looking back at a couple matches from yesterday, including uh, some, some controversy in this Manchester United Wolves game. We're going to bring in Christina Uncle. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Monday's action saw some notable fixtures. Here's a look at the re results. Cadiz gets the 1-0 win over Deportiva Alaves. Uh, Manchester United, 1-0 over Wolves. We're going to talk about that in just a sec. Uh, Atletico Madrid gets a 3-1 win over Granada. And Boavista, 3-2 over Benfica. Let's get to some of these highlights, starting with Atletico Madrid facing Granada. We pick things up in stoppage time of the first half here. Alvaro Morata, this much space, you can count on him to finish. And it's a nice finish to the far post. Fools the keeper, but this is what astonished all of us. We were watching this together at Nico's place, and mm. Memphis Depay comes in as a substitute and hits this screamer. Talk about a golazo. We all Yegolazo. yelled. Yeah, we all. Because we saw him take a look, we saw him take a look at the goal and then down. Once, once mm. he did this, we said, we all were thinking, <laughs> no, and he did it, and we all went, yo! Charlie, Charlie almost pushed Nico out the you back know, door. You know that meme of like when somebody gets burned online and it's the gif, it's, it's the guy that goes, oh, that, that looked like us. <laughs> that was you. Because uh, you didn't expect that much power yeah. to come because of the windup. Mm. I thought he was going to try and curl it. Curl it. The beauty of that goal, the quick release on that, but Memphis Depay, he did that in preseason. Against Manchester City, hit a golasso, not too dissimilar to that, put more bend on that. So this could be a big season for Memphis and Madrid. I and love Madrid. those goals that the only thing that stops the power is the back of the net. Uh -huh. It would have kept on going. It was uh -huh. so, and, and when it hits the back, it, boom, it just it hits it so violently. You know, the ball would have kept on rising. It was... Well, what a strike. What a strike. Uh, and what a start to this season. They are now unbeaten in their last 11 games at home for this Atletico Madrid team. What's the, where do you see them finishing in La Liga this year? Because they were mm. fairly close to Real Madrid last year. Top three. Top three? Top three for sure. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> but, but Real Madrid, given no Benzema, no Mbappe. Mm -hmm. I love where this is going. Courtois, Militao. I could see them... Same. Not, not, not finishing. Thank and, you. And Barca the, also looks not as good as, uh, they haven't improved. Right, so the, the goal for Atletico Madrid every season, despite them not being constant champions like Barcelona, like Atletico Madrid, like uh, Real Madrid, excuse me, this team has put together the amount of money that they invest in the manager, the amount of mm. money that they invest in the squad, compared to the other teams in Spain, 
Atlético Madrid sets out to win La Liga every season. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not as strong as your Real Madrid and your Barcelonas, but this team has to compete for La Liga. Top three, finishing second or third, isn't the goal. They'll be in Champions League because they're they're a strong what side compared missing to the that, rest that of Spain. Doesn't the, the, put them over no, the edge. Doesn't put them in that position. This is their best chance to yep. win La Liga mm. this, this year. I think I agree outside with that. Of I'm, so, won a La Liga. I'm so happy they that won you say twice. That. Yes, with outside of winning La Liga, this is their, their best chance. I, I agree with that, Charlie, because the weakened state mm -hmm. of the likes of a Real Madrid. The question mark over how Barcelona, who is in transition right now, new players coming in, I think that this is Atleti's best chance. And you talked about what they're missing. If they had a more creative spark in midfield, it hasn't been Simeone's way to have a creative midfielder. Rodrigo DePaul will be that player. In this game, he was making the final passes, threading the needles. But when you have a player like Memphis Depay, he can be that sort of spark plug off the bench. If he puts more moments like this, then Atleti, even, it'll increase their stock. Even Angel Correa. Angel Correa has constantly been the perfect super sub for Atletico Madrid. When they were eliminated from European football last season, the second semester, it was quiet. No one was talking about Atletico Madrid because they weren't playing in, in, in the best competition in Europe. They picked it up, and they were, like, right there challenging for, for that title. They were, fire. So, mm. for Atletico Madrid... It, if you can keep that. It's not Cholo Simeone's mindset to say like, all right, we need to win La Liga, we need to be competing very deep in Champions League. You take it game by game by game. You grind it out week in, week out, and that you build little by little, and that's what Atletico Madrid does, and towards the end of the season, who knows where they can be, the, and, and hopefully for them, it's competing they, deep in Champions League and, and challenging for La Liga. Love it. All right, let's, uh, let's move it along to Manchester United hosting Wolves. Uh, this wrapped up opening weekend of the Premier League, and uh, we pick things up here in the 76th oh, minute. It's so nice to see this, and you think, oh, United must have been dominating. Look at this. No, <laughs> no they weren't. To, to Varane. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful combination. <laughs> It's the greatest goal I've ever seen. Oh, incredible. <laughs> but this is the this was such a controversial oh call. VAR, Andre okay. Onana comes off his line, makes no contact with the ball, collides into the player. You could hear on, on the broadcast, this is a clear pen. It's going to VAR. <laughs> And if you get called, remember, as a referee, if you get summoned to the monitor, it's because the VAR official says this is a clear and obvious error. He goes and says, no, I'm sticking with the call. There's no, no penalty. No, I don't even think he, he, didn't, he didn't even, even go, go to the monitor. Go. No, he didn't even go. No. I think that, that's the okay. issue with this, and I can't wait to get Christina, oh. was the lack of going to the monitor. He made an immediate reaction and could have been a different so story. So the VR official did not even think that it warrants a penalty, which is crazy to me. Okay. We, just to get facts straight before we go to Christina, PGMOL, the, the body that uh, is in charge of organizing the referees mm -hmm. and, and making appointments for the weekends, have issued an apology uh, to Wolves. And not only that, the refereeing team from that game has been overlooked for next weekend's mm. set of fixtures. Okay. Well, for more on this situation, let's bring in uh, our resident expert, Christina. Uncle Christina, number one, great to see you. It's been way too long way too long and I wish Charlie that the VAR did recommend this down <laughs> for in this scenario. This is one of those that there's no excuse as to why the decision wasn't first called on the field let alone why it didn't hit our clear and obvious error. Anana, I wouldn't say he got lucky. There was just a complete mishap on this situation. 
Should have been exactly as Nico's mentioned. If you take a look, comes oh out two arms starfish lever and just completely clocks Kalajic in the head there. Right, no play on the ball, no contact on it. This is a very clear, and I went back and took a look and said, why did the referee not get this decision on the field correct? He had a clear view. He had a clear angle. So we can't answer it with respect to him being shielded. Then when you have the VAR, this is a very easy check, or this is a very easy recommendation. Not saying that we get many that we're happy with, right? VAR should be kind of difficult up there when we have great decisions. This is one that's easy for the VAR to recommend it down. So yes, as Nico mentioned, uh, referee Moss, the manager of PGMO, and Howard Webb both apologize. And I know this doesn't make up for it. Um, but unfortunately, you know, getting this decision incorrect on the field and through VAR, the officials have been taken off the field for the next one. And I know that's not justice, essentially, for the Wolves, but that is effectively what has occurred. Christina, can you take us step by step through the process? Like, where do you think? I know you just mentioned it, but when you see that. I go back to the World Cup, right? The Poland versus Argentina game where Chesney goes over his back and mm. pokes Messi in the face. It was like a minimal poke, but there was a poke that was mm -hmm. deemed a penalty kick. And I know no two games are the same, Christina, but where do you think it went wrong in the communication with VAR, in the decision from VAR to not suggest that this is reviewed by the on-field referee? I think it's an unfortunate interpretation, right? At this point, we should, at the highest level, understand that this is going to be a penalty. But his interpretation, when you have a keeper coming out who has the ability to play with his hands, which obviously is a very unique role for the goalkeeper and others that are heading that ball, you're trying to find that fine balance of a keeper who has the right to play that ball in a fair manner with his hands, as well as that person to go with the head or the attacker. There's a fine balance there, right? If the goalkeeper is clear or has a touch on the ball, or is near it, you know, we kind of lean towards the benefit of the goalkeeper here. And that's what makes this one incredibly confusing. I know that the Wolves had an issue with Leeds last year where they didn't get a similar call like this. So it's going to take not just a slight tweak, but a major tweak here to ensure that the PGML referees are understanding that if the goalkeeper's hands are nowhere near this ball and having zero contact on it, we need to call these on the field because now you have that risk to the attacker that there could be a head collision or there can be a head injury because of the goalkeeper's strength with his hands coming in. Christina, I want to now switch up and, and head over to La Liga, where Xavi was, set, was given his marching orders in a match where it was nil-nil. But Getafe, it seemed like, had a clear mission, and that is to disrupt <laughs> Barcelona with just brutality. I'm talking elbows off the ball, kicks, and two reds in the match. How would you assess how the referee was able to handle this match or lack thereof in terms of, of having command on, on the pitch. First of all, you mentioned La Liga. I was thinking WWE. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because this unfortunate, if people don't understand the history between these two teams, you knew coming in as an official that you were going to have to set a really high bar when it comes to fouls. And it was very, very clear that Gattafi's, uh, you know, essentially modus operandi through this match was to just essentially frustrate Barcelona they can through not just tactical plays, but honestly, reckless challenges throughout the game. It's insane how here, clock, this is probably the first game I've seen, where approximately played 115 minutes, and half of that, the ball was only in play because of injuries, because of fouls, because of, you know, stopping the play to go either talk to a player or talk to a coach. Collectively, I actually think this is a black eye on the all the collectively the entire game. Not only the officials, uh, mind you, the officials were calling them and giving them a yellow card, but it was very clear 
that the yellow and the red cards really weren't affecting the outcome of the game. And you're not referring football at this point, right? You're referring teams who are getting frustrated, who have completely lost care. And yes, the official leads and sets that tone early in the beginning. And the official messed a couple of them, especially off the ball scenarios. And this is where we can get creative, not approved uh, with VR when you're up in that booth, you know, saying, hey, did you guys see that, right? Just to help your team out. But knowing going into halftime, there was already 14 fouls in this game, five yellow cards and one red card. This game did not, it, it kind of felt like a USA-Mexico game to be respectfully <laughs> correct. Nothing good was going to be happening out of this match. Unfortunately, um, the, you know, red cards need to be shown a bit sooner on this game, in my opinion. Uh, just a, a, a quick one. The AR, how, how much input could an AR have to say, hey, I know you called that a foul, but there was a little more in it than, than may, you may have, have, have seen. Or from my angle, from my perspective, I think this is starting to get more chippy or more physical than than what you, you may have been, how you've been calling this match. Yeah, we have open mic communication, so that information is very easy to give over the mic without drawing this unnecessary attention to you. And importantly, we actually, in my pregame, I always said, give me that information, right? Because when you're that center official in the middle of that medley, especially when those fights start coming out or that tackle is happening, sometimes you can't appreciate maybe the force, the non-football play that's happening. And as an assistant referee, you have a bit more perspective being about 30, 40 yards away that you can fully appreciate what the rest of the fans and the players are feeling. And so actually it's strongly recommended that when an assistant referee feels that and feels the temperature of the game rising, that they give that information to the referees to help the referee say, we need to take some of that air out of this game because it's not a game at the moment. Christina, great stuff as always. Um, always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll, uh, we'll check back in with you next week. I'm sure we'll have much more to discuss. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are going to take a break, um, but we are chatting some League's Cup semifinals when we return. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. League's Cup semifinals kickoff tonight. Here's a look at the updated bracket. We have Monterrey taking on Nashville SC at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, but the big event, Philadelphia hosting Lionel Messi and Inter Miami at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can watch all those matches on Apple TV+. Plus. Oh, the Messi train continues to roll on. Miami, arguably the best team in League's Cup right now. They will have their biggest test yet, I believe, against the Philadelphia Union at Subaru Park in Philadelphia. Nico Cantor is going to be there Oof. witnessing this Ready for the in the flesh. Just as a fan, right? Just as a fan. I got <sighs> hooked up, got some tickets. Mm -hmm. Going with another friend who is from Rosario, Argentina. He lives here in Connecticut. He is a news old boy supporter, so there's clearly not only a Messi connection, there's a Tata Martino connection. Mm -hmm. so. Big surprise. It's gonna, it's gonna mean a lot. Big surprise, we go So, So let's talk about what we've seen from Miami so far, which is just a completely revitalized attack. I think if we, we've got an incredible uh, stat here. If we look at what they have been able to produce on offense pre-Messi in MLS and after Messi, the numbers are, are quite different, as you will see. Look at this. Look at the difference. They have 17 goals as opposed to seven. They conceded 15 goals pre-Messi and have only conceded six since then, as it's well as two clean sheets. And that, that record, it's staggering. I mean, it, it is a completely different team. So if you are the Philadelphia Union and you're going up against this, this completely reinvigorated side, Charlie, you know this Philadelphia team mm -hmm. well. 
What do they have to do to stop Messi and Miami? Well, this is the best team that Inter-Miami uh, will face. They, they haven't faced a team Hands with down. this much quality. And the union have an identity. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at what they do. They keep the field narrow. And, and then they use their, their wing backs and Kai Wagner and, and Baizo to get down and whip balls in. And Carranza is a handful just because he's constantly moving. He, he has good link-up play. And Daniel Gazdag is as good as you, you get in Major League Soccer. Underrated. In terms of nine goals, mm-hmm. nine assists. He's so influential. But the, the, what, the matchup I'm looking for looking forward to the most is Jose Martinez. Um, he is an absolute menace in the midfield. Destroyer. Breaks up everything, tough tackler. And we've seen Le- Lionel Messi in terms of what that, when he sees like the passion and, you know, Araujo against Orlando, you could tell that he, he had this feistiness to him. Well, Jose Martinez is one of those that claps back. He's not going to back down yeah, at all. And yeah. this is a tough union side. They, they feel that, you know, last year they were robbed of MLS Cup. They want this trophy. Jim Curtin is going to come in with the mentality of, at home, we don't lose. That's another thing. When you play in Philadelphia and you play in Chester, it's very difficult to beat this team. They play with such an energy and intensity. And this is going to be a difficult task for Inter-Miami. I'm, I'm curious to see how Tata Martino changes his team at all in terms of not so much the player selection, but the tactics. It's funny enough, Jim Curtin in the post-game press conference of Querétaro, not begged, but pleaded. That's a <laughs> step down from begged. Union fans to not sell their tickets mm-hmm. because those who bought tickets to the game, it became revalued. It, it shot up in value. They probably mm-hmm. must have bought those tickets for 30, 40 bucks, and now it's well beyond 300. So he said, look, I'm not one to tell you how to spend your money because it's like an investment almost. Mm-hmm. So you get a nice little return there. The ROI is incredible. But you don't want Subaru Park to be flooded by Messi fans because then it, it, the feeling the dynamic is changes. different. It's a small stadium. They could, they could have done it at Lincoln Financial and sold it out 100%. But then for sure, it wouldn't have been a Philadelphia Union game, it would have been a messy showcase. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a a key component to to Philly feeling at home uh, and and making the most of of their fortress where they don't lose. And I kind of wanted to add something to what you were saying. Carranza came off hurt, it seemed like, in in the last game against Querétaro. I wonder where he's at in in recovery to play this game. so you lose a little bit there, but if Gazdag Ude, Ude has you, to you, be... Yeah, you gain, you gain a lot, though, you gain a lot though, with Daniel Gazdag coming back, reported to be coming back healthy fit. That is a big addition. Nine goals, we were looking at the stats and whatnot, still upset how Julio Carranza, I'm looking at you, MLS All-Star Game Selection Committee, how he did not make the All-Star team. Daniel Gazdag is in that list as well. Mm. He has been a revelation for the Philadelphia Union. So much is made about Lionel Messi, in that attacking midfield position, Daniel Gazdag, if you leave him unmarked, he's a goal-scoring attacking midfielder. Of the other important players, Mbaizo. He will be key for the union, not just getting forward, but that matchup between he and Jordi, Jordi Alba, Alba. Mm-hmm. on that far side for Philadelphia Union, he has to get it right. I think he should stay home a bit more and Kai Wagner be the one you to get up and down. That's what's going to happen. DeAndre Edlin is, is going to be... We've seen now how much he gets forward. Well, Kai Wagner... He gets down that left flank, so mm-hmm. that's going to be one of those 
do I go, do I stay? But the only way you can take the sting out of the union because they're very good in transition. That's where the union thrive. They put pressure on you and then they're direct. They're, they're not an east-west team, they're a north-south team, they're very direct. Is when you can keep possession. When you control the tempo. Right. That's how you beat this union. And that's I, what Inter-Miami's gonna wanna do. And, and but what's Inter-Miami's Inter well, weakness? Busquets and Messi and uh, Kramaski and, and Arroyo, they have to figure out ways to get on the ball and, and find those pockets. Because when you do, that's when you, you keep the union pinned back. Mm. That's the only way you can beat the union in Philadelphia. I, I think on the flip side of that, where I see Inter-Miami vulnerable to this Philadelphia union side is what you said in the transition moments. When you see the last time they went on the road in the League's Cup to go to FC Dallas, to go to Frisco, they struggled with pace. When teams go direct and just in two or three passes Their line is are so in high. the box, they do play a high line. Kamal Miller will be vital to that. Against FC Dallas, I thought Inter-Miami Miami were so expansive putting I mean both wingbacks go up in attack the, the they, center backs they, were if, in the center circle. if they do that against the Philadelphia Union Karan, it would be another high scoring game because Mikel Ua is a player who thrives on that open space mm -hmm. he's not a player who can play in in a against a low block he, he struggles with that but if you give him space when he mm -hmm. can open up Mimi. that's when he when he can have an, a real effect did you just game. do a road runner he did was Maybe. a little <laughs> So subtle, but I liked it. He, he needs to be clinical. He hasn't yeah. been scoring, though. Mm -hmm. He hasn't. Um, and, and if you don't have Carranza, mm -hmm. man, someone's got to score goals, and hopefully it's your forward. Yeah. All right, Philadelphia Union taking on Miami, 7.30 p.m. tonight. Uh, let's move it along to the other semifinal that we'll see. Monterrey facing Nashville SC. Monterrey, the lone Liga MX team remaining in League's mm -hmm. Cup, and Nashville coming off an absolute thrashing of Minnesota United that saw them score Five goals. Hani Mukhtar had a goal and three assists in this match. This has been leading up to League's Cup. Nashville, although they're they're doing well and, and I believe they're second in the standings in the East at this point, they had kind of scuffled a little bit, um, weren't getting a ton of, of wins, but I feel like they've utilized this tournament well to kind of reset themselves. And especially, we've talked a lot about their reliance on Hani Mukhtar, obviously the reigning MLS MVP, the Golden Boot winner. And his involvement in goals. I mean, he was involved in four of their five goals in their win against Minnesota United. And so for a Monterrey side, I think you have to look at what Hani Mukhtar is doing and try to find a way to stop him. Because as Hani goes, Nashville goes, Michael. This is a Nashville side that I think have struggled with a bit of their identity when you have the Nashville teams that have been so good defensively in Major League Soccer last year, one of the best defensive teams. This year, still one of the best defensive teams, but not as of late in league form. In League's Cup, what I've liked that Gary Smith has done, he's allowed Hani Mukhtar to really thrive in that attacking midfield position. Last season, he was playing as a second striker, but Hani Mukhtar, when he has players that can run ahead of him, Shackleberg coming back, Love that's been the kid. difference maker for them. Love this him being kid. out, Nashville with his speed being direct, it stretches the opposing back line out and creates space for Mukhtar to operate. And when you give Mukhtar any space whatsoever, he's got that feint where he draws you in with a feint, drops his shoulder, can go to his right, can go to his left, and before you know it, the ball's in the back of the net. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun one tonight. What are you expecting, Charlie? I think what Gary Smith has done this year and Mike Jacobs, uh, sporting director, 
What's been, I think, influential is having options, and they have speed options. Teal Bunbury and Fafa Pico, uh, Schaffelberg, but Zimmerman on set pieces. So hmm. they're a little bit more dynamic than we've seen in the past because it's usually been so predictable from this Nashville side, Hani Mukhtar being the exception. Now the, the supporting cast has really grown, and you, I've always loved the way that uh, you have Dax McCarty and, mm. and Annabelle Godoy, the way that they were able to control the midfield. Now they're starting to find that rhythm. And this, this Nashville side is, is sneaky because I feel that they can beat this Monterey side given their experience and just the liveliness of Schaffelberg causing issues just with his movement. And Hani Mukhtar, you give him that much opportunities on the ball in the attacking half. and He's going he's, he's gonna, to. He's do you know what's interesting, too? All those names that you are just saying, those are guys with ample MLS experience. Mm -hmm. They know how to play in this league. And so I think that, that to your point, Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith have done an incredible job of assembling this roster that has enough firepower, but also just the know-how of, of MLS Resilient. and the intricacies of Susanna, how quick, quick point, set pieces. In big games like this, Walker Zimmerman, two set-piece goals in the Leeds Cup. Do not be surprised if that's an X factor and a talking point at the final whistle. I will be if you're wondering, <laughs> before we were to break, if Philly wins, final is in Philly. If Inter-Miami wins and Nashville wins, final in Nashville. If Inter-Miami wins and Monterrey wins, final in Miami. Seriously. Nico's got a glimmer and in his eye. Someone may or may not be going to Miami this weekend. So. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. Um, all right, guys, we're going to take a break. We are previewing that Australia England World Cup semifinal when we return. Don't go anywhere. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Oi.